Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I'm going to go to Philippians 1 verse 1 to 2, and I'm actually just going to focus on these two verses before I jump over into the next chapter um, to show you the core of what this book is about. But in, Ephes- but in Philippians, see how long we've been doing Ephesians, I just can't help myself. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 1 to 2, it says, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Timothy, Paul was writing, Timothy was with him, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts by identifying himself as a servant. In other places, he refers to his authority as an apostle, as one who is called, but the primary, uh, the core of, of Paul's identity is that I am a servant of Jesus. Some translations would say a bond servant, which would literally be a slave that sold themselves into slavery, that chose to bind themselves to a master for a lifetime. Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. I am a servant of Jesus. I want to talk to you today about the heart of a servant. This posture that we take on as believers, that is, that is our reasonable and logical form of worship. It's how we, it's just how we live. It just is the natural outcome of encountering Jesus. It's what happens when Jesus encounters our life. We see this when Peter goes to pray uh, for his, his mother-in-law and Peter and Jesus go into, into Peter's house and his mother-in-law is sick. And, uh, and, and Jesus comments on the fact that the mother-in-law is sick and, and wants to pray for her. And I think Peter was like, no, she's fine. Just leave her, just leave her. No, I'm kidding. He didn't do that. He loved his mother-in-law. And so just like I love my mother-in-law, who is here today? Um, but he, he prays for her and it says, immediately she was healed. She arose and she served them. When, when you've experienced the healing power of God touch your life, the first thing you want to do is you want to get up and you want to serve. That's the response. It's just a natural outcome. This is the position that, that, we, are, that we find ourselves in when we really have a relationship with Jesus. And it, and it puts us in a place where God can shape our lives, when He can shape our attitudes, where He can uh, uh, shift our perspective. Even though we all tend towards limited surrender, we all are happy to surrender to God Perhaps in, okay, I will believe. Perhaps in, okay, I accept God wants something for my life. Perhaps in, okay, there's certain duties I should fulfill. But do we ever come to the place of saying, God, all that I am is yours? Because there's power in that place. That's why we experience limited power is because we have exercised limited surrender. That's why we don't always know truly the power of the resurrection because we have not been willing to die. You can only experience power of the resurrection when you have been willing to die. Because only when you have laid down your life can you take it up again. And so deep down, even though we tend to, to, to lean towards limited surrender, deep down we long for the freedom and the joy of a life that is completely surrendered. 
We know instinctively deep down that when I do this, it'll be a game changer for me. A life where we realize my life is not my own. Because in that moment, you come to understand that life does not consist of you constantly just trying to get ahead. Trying to keep up, trying to impress others, trying to vindicate yourself or prove yourself. How much energy do we spend every week, every day? How much sleep do we lose because we are trying to prove ourselves to others? We're trying to get ahead in life. And so deep down we long to be liberated from this, to live life simply and lightly like a child playing in the presence of their father. Our generation especially is absolutely obsessed with self-expression and self-fulfillment. We believe every moment is about me being me and, and showing everyone who I am and what my truth is. And I must express it, whether it's valid, whether it's sinful, whether it's true. Life is all about just expression, self-expression, self-fulfillment. We make ourselves the center of our own universe. We have no concept that there are others whom God loves, a Macedonian call, come and help us. Sorry, guys, I'm just busy expressing myself. We've lost the heart, the impetus of the call of God to say there is a city that desperately needs you to become who God designed you to be so that they can find the freedom that you have already found. And so Christianity and, and the gospel is not it saves us and it changes and delivers us, but it's not about us. It's about becoming like Jesus who gave himself up for us. And us, as we take on his form and his likeness, begin to give ourselves up for the, the good of others. That's what we're here for. There's a, there's a call. We'll call it a, a, a Joe Bergian call. My, my best attempt there. We actually spoke about this as a, as, a, as a team yesterday. We had our heart and soul moment here. Um, we spoke about the fact that as a team, we, we, we often fight for the soul of our church. We fight for our own souls and the health of our souls because we do not want to be weighed down by, by the opinions of others and the things that would distract us in this world only to find a position in the nothingness that is this culture. And so yesterday we shared with our team from Mark 8, the call of the gospel, which is a call to a far greater freedom, a far greater way to live our lives. It's, a, it, it's freedom from self, first and foremost. It's the gift of self-forgetfulness. You just forget that you're even there. Mark 8, 34 to, to 37, the words of Jesus, it says, And calling, to the crowd, to him, uh, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, if you're truly going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny self. Take up your cross. Follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man? What does it, what does it benefit your life? If you gain the whole world and forfeit or lose or injure your soul, for what can a man give in return for his soul? This is the call of Jesus. 
His call to us is that by His grace, we can leave the temptations and the things that distract us on this earth behind, all those things that hinder us from running in the purposes of God. And instead, we can pick up our cross, we can deny ourselves, and we can live a life of freedom. The cross is our symbol of freedom because it set us free from all the selfish desires that would simply clutter up our lives and lead us into destruction. Instead, we don't need to worry about those things. But we can live in this incredible calling of God because we've been liberated through the cross. You cannot experience the power of the resurrection until you're willing to die. Only then will you know what it means to be truly free, truly alive, truly satisfied in Him. But what we do instead is that we settle for a manageable religion. If I can just boil it down to a few things I've got to do every week, then I don't really have to lay my life down, do I? And this is why your flesh is hostile towards God in two ways. The one is by doing the obvious sinful things like, you know, doing bad things. And and then the other one is by doing really good things. Do you know that your flesh can be hostile towards God by being really, really good? Because your flesh will stand in church. Your flesh will sing songs. Your flesh will give to the poor. Your flesh will do all those things as long as you don't have to die. But Jesus doesn't try to redeem the flesh. He crucifies it. He doesn't try to reform it. We're not reforming the old bad self. We're, putting, we're understanding that in Christ it's been put to death and we've become new creations. Religion only offers a cheap substitute to this powerful life. It gives us little things to do without truly allowing us to become. But God has a bigger vision for your life. To experience the full force of this powerful new life, God has destined for every single one of us to come to that place of absolute surrender before the cross so that in losing our lives, we will find out what life really is. I, was, I read this passage out. I was going through the book by G.K. Chesterton called Orthodoxy. And I wanted to just read a little excerpt from it because he speaks about courage. And he talks about how Christianity really corners the market on courage. This is the reason why. He says, courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. A soldier surrounded by enemies, if he is to cut his way out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must not merely cling to life, for then he will be a coward and will not escape. He must not merely wait for death, for then he will be a suicide and will not escape. He must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it. He must desire life like water and yet drink death like wine. We desire life in such a great way that we're ready to die, ready to give it all. That's how we live. We are saved from death only by living in an inch of it at all times. That's the spirit, the heart of a servant. My life is not my own. I'm here to give it all. I'm here to give everything. In any moment, we live in this way. With all this comes the truth that our lives are really not our own. Why? Because we've been bought at a price. Our lives belong to God. My grandfather uh, passed away in 1992. He was a, a, a pastor, 
uh, led in the AFM Church District, chairman of the AFM, the Pentecostal movement in our country, and served God faithfully for many decades. I've got old, old photos of him baptizing people in the Irlands River out in the in Mpumalanga, just in the river. And apparently the current was so strong that, you know, every person he baptized, you know, the river would sweep them a little bit further down and the people just kind of shimmied along downstream as they went and, and, and just really saw revival in this nation during that you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s, and and um, and uh, he passed away in 1992. I was only eight years old. In fact, I have a photo um, of um, of where we were at his gravesite with the grave of my grand next to him as well there. If you're wondering where I am, those are my cousins, the people you can actually see. If you look right in the middle there, that's me. Uh, that's when skinny ties were in the first time. Um <laughs> Maybe the second time it's come back in. I think it might even be out again. I'm not sure. But um, that's, that's uh, I was probably about eight uh, years old at the time in that photo. Um, but, but my grandfather had cancer three times, was miraculously healed twice. It was in the newspapers. It was an amazing thing. And the third time um, was, was his time. And, and uh, he passed away uh, from cancer in 1992. But I managed to find a sermon that he preached uh, after he retired at the age of 65, he retired um, because of his sickness and went down to the coast um, to, to his hometown on the way. And then on the way back was asked at a church to preach. And he went and preached there. And I got hold of that recording, which was his last ever uh, uh, sermon, recorded sermon. And, um, and in the message, he talks about being a servant of Jesus. And he says he was at a prayer meeting. And at this prayer meeting, at a certain point with other pastors, they said, you know, just go out, spend half an hour and just pray on your own. And he went out and, and he found a rock and he was in pain because his cancer was a, was a bone marrow cancer. And uh, he found a rock and he just kind of sat on that rock like this because he was in pain, kind of like rubbing his legs as he prayed. And he felt the pain of, of, of what he was experiencing. And, and he just said to God, God, why, why do I need to experience this pain? Why, why do I have to suffer this, this thing? And God said to him in that moment, you, do, you don't need to know why. Just trust me. Just trust in me. Because you're my servant. And he goes on to tell about stories about how God used him. He tells about one night when he got a call at 3 a.m. in the morning. And there was a, a woman who was uh, possessed by an evil spirit that was beating up her husband. And her husband's like 6'5", uh, his father played for the Springboks, and, uh, and, and, and this little lady is beating him up. So, so you know, he, my grandfather got the Macedonian call, Pastor, help! My wife's beating me up. And, um, and so he goes there three in the morning, and he walks through those doors with the power of the name of Jesus. You see, when you're a servant, you don't walk in your own authority. If, if I had to try and address a supernatural power in like, in the name of Adrian, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get that, you know, Jesus we know, Paul we know, you know, who are you? That's the, that's, that's the power of being a servant. You carry the authority of the one you serve. And he walks in, and as he walks through the door, he addresses that spirit. 5 a.m. in the morning, she's in her right mind, and she's making them tea. And they actually became family friends of ours. Uh, her, their son and I were friends all of our lives. Um, 
And my grandfather tells the story and he goes, isn't it amazing what God can do through his little servant? Isn't it amazing what God can do through people that are just, you don't have to be intelligent, special, ultra gifted, you know, uh, have a degree in theology, just, just be a servant. Isn't it amazing how the power of God can flow through people who have just said, my life is not my own. I am a servant of God. He tells that story, and I'll, and I'll never forget that. Um, so at the center of the book of Philippians, there's this poem. It's called the Messiah poem. That's what it's been dubbed. Um, it's often referred to as the Messiah poem. And it draws heavily on Old Testament pictures of Jesus, specifically Adam in Genesis and then the suffering servant in Isaiah 40 and onwards. Um, and, and it looks at it just this, this little passage, just a few verses, just in a condensed way, beautifully frames the story of the gospel, the narrative of redemption, redemption and, and what it is that Jesus has done for us. And so I want to read that to you in Ephesians 2, verse 5 to 11, because it starts off in verse 5 by saying, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, think about yourself this way. Have this perspective. See yourself. When you look in the mirror, see yourself in this way. Have this mind. Have this attitude. Have this heart which is yours in Christ Jesus. I love that. We're not just trying to reform our old selfish mindsets into slightly less selfish mindsets. No, in Christ, we have this attitude. It's the attitude of Christ. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's who we become in him. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he made himself of no reputation. He stepped down. He laid down his rights in order to become a servant, but emptied himself. Man, that's powerful language. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. By the way, when it says Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, that the only other place where that word there for servants is found in the book of Philippians is right here, is, is when he speaks about Jesus. Jesus was a servant of God, so we are servants of Jesus. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of at the name of Jesus every knee should bow see if you want to walk in authority it starts with surrender every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father have this mind think in this way about yourself because this is how God's grace allows you to think. This is the way of life for those who have come to know Jesus as Lord. And here's what he's saying at the end of the day. Paul says, we are servants. He's also an apostle. He stands on his authority at other times, but he goes, we are servants of Christ Jesus. Primarily, why? Because Jesus was a servant. And so if we are going to participate in the story of Jesus, we ourselves must be willing to be servants like he was. Are any of us greater than Jesus? Are any of us greater than our Lord? Our Father, our Savior, our King? No ways. If he was a servant, 
then we, if we are to be like him, should become servants as well, should take on that identity as servants. Just like Jesus in relationship with the Father emptied himself to take on the form of servanthood and becoming obedient to the point of death. That's what we're called to as well. And therefore, there is exaltation, the exaltation that Jesus experienced. So Paul starts his letter by calling himself a servant. And the whole book of Philippians really shows us that this is the way of life for those who come to know Jesus as Lord. Our lives tell the same story, which means that really whatever we go through, whatever we face, whatever we, we encounter, whatever difficulties and hardships and trials we, we endure, it's simply a greater opportunity for us to reflect the glory of God. Because that's our end. That's the heart of a servant. 1 Corinthians 7, to 23 says, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. So, so if he's talking about people that were physically slaves at that day. If you're a slave and you come to Jesus, then you're free. Likewise, he is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. I could do another message just on that verse right now. You were bought at a price. And so we serve people lovingly. We live for our city. We are not anti the you know, people, anti the city. We are for the city. We love people. But we're not slaves of people. We do not come under the authority of people. This is why Christians traditionally through the centuries have caused headaches for many governments. We just live by a higher power. We will submit to authority as the scriptures instruct us to do, but we're not slaves to authority because we have a greater king. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You cannot... Live your life in a way to please man and be a servant of Jesus at the same time. This is what God's grace delivers us from, the need to seek the approval of man, the need to be people pleasers. How many of you have a problem with being people pleasers? If you're a servant of Christ, you are delivered from being a people pleaser. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what I realized is the people we're mostly trying to please is ourselves. The first people pleasing, or I don't even know how to say it. The first people that we're trying to please, the people pleasers that we're trying to be towards is ourselves. We're trying to please ourselves all the time. We're trying to live up to a certain image of ourselves and the and, and what it results in is just purely pride, and it's pride that leads to the fall. It leads to sin. But what Jesus does is that he removes that pride from us by giving us the opportunity to live in the same way that he did, by emptying ourselves, making ourselves of no reputation. It doesn't matter what people think of me. I, I once tweeted this back when Twitter was still a thing. I said, um, people's, of, people's opinion of me is none of my business. It's none of my business. I'm just a servant. 
I'm just going to do what Jesus tells me to do. It doesn't matter what the thoughts are that others have about me. And that's tough for me because uh, my natural setup was to care about what people think. I wanted their approval. But the antidote to that is finding this freedom in Jesus. I'm almost done this morning, in case you're wondering. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 5. If we just go back just before that Messiah poem, listen to how he leads into it. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. This is the attitude of Jesus. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We don't live out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility, we count others as more important, more valuable, more significant than ourselves. We struggle with this because we want to be the center of our own universe. We want to be autonomous without realizing that the one who seeks to save his own life will in the process lose it. You'll lose it. What does it profit a man? What does it profit a woman? If you gain the whole world yet simultaneously forfeit your soul. What price would you pay for, for your soul? This is the fruit of doing what Jesus spoke about in Revelation when he says they did not love their lives unto death. The fruit of loving your own life is death. And Paul says this in Romans 6, 20 to 22. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So you didn't worry about righteousness. And you might say, That's, that sounds like a better way to live. I don't have the pressure of trying to like be like Jesus. I can just, I'm free concerning righteousness, so I can just live how I want. That's what our world has decided. That's what they've declared. I can live how I want because then I'm free from all the need to, to, to have to try and conform my life to the, to the life of Jesus. And Paul says, okay, that, that's okay, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed of. At that time when you were doing those things and, and bragging about it, now there are things that you're ashamed of. But, but what was the fruit? The end of those things is death. It doesn't lead to life. It leads away from life. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God. Slaves of God. Slaves to righteousness. To me, I was like, in the beginning, when I was young, I thought that doesn't sound very hopeful because so what you're telling me is I'm either a slave to sin or I'm a slave to God, but in all circumstances, I'm a slave. And I realized that being a slave of righteousness, you know, when, when, when you try and run away, when a slave tries to run away, the master will pursue the slave and bring the slave, slave home every time. And I realized no matter how hard I try to run away from sin, it would always catch up with me and bring me back and make me obey its desires. But now that I am a slave to righteousness, even when I feel like running away, righteousness overtakes me. It brings me back into these peaceful streams and green pastures where God causes me to find rest. There is nothing freer than being a slave of God. There's nothing more beneficial than being a slave of Christ. 
He says this, he says, but now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit, here's the fruit, that you get leads to sanctification, a changed life, transformation, a new way of living, no longer having to struggle with the old things because you are now a slave of God and He is transforming you. He is sanctifying you. And its end is eternal life. So God didn't seek us out to be His servants for His benefit. God is self-sufficient. He didn't need us to benefit Him. He calls us as servants for the benefit that will be produced in us, towards us, in order to bless us. He seeks our benefit as we learn what true life and freedom looks like. So Paul calls himself a servant. Servant Jesus Christ, primary point of identity. I am in the, sh- in the form of the one who called me. I'm, I am a servant of Jesus. One last thing. Why does he start the book in verse one of Philippians by saying, Paul and Timothy? Why does he mention Timothy here? Well, what Paul does straight after that Messiah poem is that he gives two examples of people that are living that kind of life. They've actually taken God at his word and they're doing it. And Paul describes the two of them. The one was Timothy. The other one was Epaphroditus who was sent from Philippi to Paul uh, where he was imprisoned with a gift, a financial gift and a gift of supplies that he needs. And so he praises Epaphroditus and he uses them as examples of two men who took God at his word and decided to become servants not loving their own lives to death. And so I just want to read this to you in Philippians 2, 19 to 30. He goes straight out of that Messiah prayer and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by the news of you for I have no one like him. There's no one like Timothy around me. No one that I can count on like Timothy. Why? Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. There's no one like Timothy because Timothy cares about others. He's not full of himself. He's not seeking his own. That's rare. When you start living that way, you are in rare air. Not many people like that. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Proven worth. You see, so many times we think that becoming like Jesus means that we, that we you know, just don't lose our temper in traffic and we're a little bit more patient and maybe we read our Bibles more. We wake up at four in the morning to go sit on a mountain and pray, whatever. We try and follow those forms. But, but really, to become like Jesus means to love people like Jesus did. And that's what Timothy was exemplifying. That's why he's got proven worth. You want to have proven worth as a believer? Start loving others like Jesus did. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord shortly, I myself will come also. He then goes on to Epaphroditus. He says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he is a longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. 
and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Honor Timothy. Honor Epaphroditus. Because these are men that don't care about themselves. They're servants of Jesus. They risk their own lives for the sake of the gospel. They are examples that Paul is giving to us of how we are to live if we are to participate in the story of Jesus. If we're to live the truly Christian life. These men took on that attitude. They had this mind. They emptied themselves. They served others. And they're exact examples of what Paul is trying to say to the church in Philippi. And so this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind is yours. Continually take it on, church. Let's begin to live this way. I believe that as a community, if we begin to, if we begin to, to hold fast to that mindset, that faith, and that commitment to Jesus, there is not a nation on this planet we will not shake together. But it starts with us emptying ourselves like Jesus did and saying, Lord, we are your servants. And in that is a greater reward than anything you could ever have earned for yourself in your time on this earth. It's the call of God on our lives. Amen? Let's stand this morning and take a moment to surrender ourselves to Jesus right now.